I'm going to go through the scripture reading today, so please join me in today's scripture reading from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14 in our Pew Bibles, and this can be found on page 1245. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We are going to do a little deeper dive into just verse 14 today. We did verses 10 through 13 last week, so if you need to catch up with that, uh, you can look into our sermon archives. Uh, The child dedication uh, this morning, closing with that verse in 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so we're going to be focusing in verse 14 with that belt of truth. Uh, We're in a spiritual warfare series, and those of us involved with this or have been um, walking with Christ for a while know this to be true, that there is a battle of good and evil, of darkness and light, and you don't even have to be a Christian to believe that and just witness what's going on in our world. And within Paul's context, he's writing to Ephesus, um, which is relevant to Oakland, which is relevant to anywhere you live. And he wrote this part in chapter 6, but he's writing this word finally to tie in everything that happened chapters one through five and kind of telling us don't leave that behind this is all one letter and so this isn't some disjointed subject matter that I'm then writing about after the fact this is all plugged into what he has written on in chapters one through five and it all ties into what we're talking about today in spiritual warfare the evil one's schemes are in full operation today And all one has to do is look back to chapter 5, look back to what Paul wrote in regards to these really intimate relationships that he's addressed in chapter 5, whether that be marriage, family, or work. And he ties all these things back, and it's not the only relationships he's addressing or saying that are important but those are the ones that he's pointed out and then now that he's pointing out spiritual attack in chapter 6 it's very evident that he's speaking about how spiritual attack actually happens within marriages family and work to enter into marriage or family work those relationships that are spoken of in chapter 5 without acknowledging how we are under spiritual attack is actually quite naive, and this is why Paul tied in the word finally in verse 10. And then he instructs us to put on the whole armor of God in verses 11 and 13, and then to stand firm in verses 11 and 13. And Paul's instructions aren't just these empty commands. He tells us how to do it in verse 10. So let's go back to verse 10, and he writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul has 
gone through this entire letter strengthening us in this way by having us understand our identity in Christ, by understanding our unity in Christ. And he spends all of chapters 1 and 3 doing that before giving us these imperatives that we find in chapters 4 through 6, that our strength is in the Lord, that it's not in ourselves, that Putting on the whole armor of God is not something that we do to ourselves, but it is in the strength of the might of God that that happens. And it's not just addressing us as individuals, but it's also addressing us as a united church together. And so many times in our society, we always want to throw these words out, these encouraging words out, like believe in yourself, trust in yourself. And doing all these things in yourself. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. But you and I know we both fall into these times of weakness where we're just not at our best to depend on ourselves. That we're not the best ourselves to lean on. But God is consistent. He is always one dependable to lean on. In verse 14, the first part of it, it says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Today we look at belts as an accessory, and uh, if your shirt can cover your belt line, then you don't wear a belt, like me. But if not, like you're wearing a suit and your shirt's tucked in, you usually wear a belt because it's more of an accessory, and so you let people know what kind of belt you're wearing because your buckle kind of like broadcasts what it is, or that it's just kind of like this belt that really serves no function, um, that is just kind of like decorative. Now Paul is addressing something more than why we typically wear belts for, that belts within a soldier was a foundational piece of their uniform within warfare. That if we're looking at someone like a Roman soldier, that their uniform consisted of this tunic, and this tunic would kind of be free-flowing, And then there would be these straps, sometimes leather, sometimes made out of some other material, that were weighted at the bottom that would hang past the groin so that it would be protection for the groin. But it was, again, a a loose kind of material that was kind of loose like this tunic was. And so not like our current military that wears pants and where things are kind of like held more in place, but this is more of like free-flowing than pants and free-flowing than what a pants and cup protection for our soldiers today provide, and they don't have to have things tucked into their belt other than things hanging from their belt. But back then, these soldiers, when they were marching or when they were going off to battle, they needed to tuck these loose-flowing things into their belt so that it wouldn't impede their march. It wouldn't impede them fighting. And so they'd secure these pieces into their belt so that they could march effectively, get ready effectively, and fight effectively. And this is the picture of this belt of truth that I think Paul is writing about, that you know, this isn't a, a new concept. If you go back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12, Moses instructs his people on how to eat while they're celebrating Passover. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, it's written this. In this manner you shall eat, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, why did Moses instruct the people to eat this way in Exodus 12? 
because there was an enemy that was a threat to them, and they needed to always be ready at any time to be able to take a stand, and so their belts had to be fastened. You couldn't uh, loosen it up and the enemy is attacking, and then all of a sudden you're trying to get ready. You had to be ready already right there. So buckle in, and that's our picture in Ephesians, and this is what Jesus said in Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And so this is a repeated kind of metaphor that Paul is pulling on. And, and to have those things that can impede you in battle, to have those things kind of tucked into your belt of truth so that you can be ready, so that you can be standing firm, resolutely ready for what's coming at you in battle. Now, we're all very familiar with having our belts buckled in as one of the first things we do, right? When you get into a car, it's the first thing you do before you even start your engine, or maybe some of you aren't as diligent on these things, but that, that's you, whatever. But you're accustomed to this because your bell will keep chiming until you put that seatbelt on, or that light will keep flashing to tell you which passenger in your car does not have their seatbelt on, so you say, hey, put your seatbelt on. Or when you're flying, before takeoff, in turbulence, before you land, there's always somebody coming by to check your seatbelts, and there's a sign there, and you hear that ding, right? Ding! And it's always, ah, oh, I needed to go to the bathroom, and now I can't, and all this kind of stuff goes through your head. But it, it's always there, and so you're, you're accustomed to this fastening of your belt to be ready for something to happen, or in case something happens. So a question arises in that why do we have to be ready if we already know the ultimate battle that Jesus overcame death and overcame Satan on the cross and in the grave? Why do we have to still be ready if the ultimate victory has already been won? Well, there's this not yet aspect, even though the ultimate victory has already been won, but there's this analogy I used last week of chess. In chess, that Jesus Christ has already made his move and it's checkmate. It's over. The game's over. And so that victory is already secured. But there's this brief moment when that opponent you're playing against in chess that you've checkmated has not conceded his defeat. And this is the moment that we're in right now in that he hasn't necessarily conceded his defeat even though there's a checkmate. And so that is the case until the return of Christ. Now in standing, fastening with this belt of truth, the focus isn't on what we do, but what Christ has already done. See, our victory isn't in what we do against the devil. We don't stand confidently in ourselves, but we stand confidently in Christ's victory over the evil one on the cross and in the grave. And by example, the way that Christ went head-to-head -head with Satan in the wilderness for those 40 days of temptations, the way that he did that was with the truth. The truth, the way that we stand firm is fastening on that belt of truth. And so when the devil attacks, when the devil tempts, when he puts doubt in your head that you have the truth, knowing that ultimately he's already been defeated and it is over, that there is no accusation that he can make that is going to change the security you have in Jesus. And that no matter what is thrown your way, you are united in Christ and he cannot be 
plucking you from God's hand. He can't remove you from that. No matter what that guilt that he is trying to put on you or shame or doubt, that you can hold on to the gospel of truth. The biggest issue for any of us is whether we know this truth and beyond even knowing this truth, do we have faith in this truth to live it out in a transformed way that is fruit that we are indeed believing in this truth. And so, do you know Christ to be the truth? Do you trust in Christ? It's beyond the knowledge if you can kind of get the scale there. So do you know who Christ is and who you are and why you need him? Because Christianity is not a religion to try to better yourself or to be a better person or to do good works around the world. Those are byproducts of a relationship with Christ, but it is not the end all of having a relationship with Christ. So then what is? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The backdrop of all of this is truth. That truth is the only thing that we can ultimately work with and live in because anything outside of truth eventually falls apart because it's not truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8 starting in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We all live in this culture and society that claims to be seeking truth and that claims to be knowing our truth. It is our truth. But how come society doesn't seem to be getting better if we all seem to be knowing more truth? Why is society getting worse if we know truth or have better truth? This is why. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning. Sound familiar? Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Don't these verses perfectly describe our world? And in verse 7, that is so strikingly true. We are always learning, but we're never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's our society perfect description of our world and the people who live in it. We know and we've learned more 
than in any other time in history and will never be able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. We have more information today than ever in the history of mankind. But we still have so much chaos in our world. And people are calling out all of these global atrocities all around the world, which there are. But it's just so ironic that people can't even achieve peace across the dining table, within their marriages, within families, within workplaces. And it's coming from the same people that are preaching about all these global atrocities happening in the world. The spiritual warfare is real. And the only way to stand firm against it is with the gospel, that we are grounded in truth. Otherwise, it's just never being able to arrive at the truth, that the chaos continues, and people getting tossed to and fro with this new knowledge, with this new information, but never arriving at truth. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Only in Christ can we stand firm with this truth. And the world and the culture stand in direct opposition to this. I think something that we can all agree on about the culture of our world, that it is indeed confused about the truth. I think we can all agree on that, right? You, you go, you believe this one thing, you can find somebody that believes the exact opposite. Like, no matter what it is, like health and I, I, it's crazy. I, I'm doing all this like health studies because I'm getting older. And so I, I'm, 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 I'm researching all these things about what to eat, right? And so like high protein or low protein? What? Like this will kill you. No, this will kill you. Like, just don't eat. Then you know you'll die. But then, <laughs> but no one can agree. And so what's the truth? They're all disagreeing with each other. High fat, keto, or no fat? Like, what? Which one? And so the lies are just all chaotic, and people are holding on to their truths. But they're not true. Because truth doesn't work like that. Because truth is truth. And when truth is compromised, you do get chaos. You get what is happening in Western Europe with the church. And what is happening in the United States right now in the church. And what I'm encouraging our church today with is fasten your belts. Buckle in. Because we're in for quite a ride. And it's not even close to being over. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Remember this. But understand this, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty. And then there's this whole laundry list of people that fall into these categorically who are always learning, always learning, and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. 
To arrive at truth, people need to be confronted with the truth. And you can only deal with a sickness or a disease if you have a true diagnosis, not a make-believe one. We have the gospel of truth to share with people. We have their true diagnosis, and this is the diagnosis. They will perish into eternity without Jesus Christ. That is the truth. That is the diagnosis. John chapter 3, verse 16. We all know this. You see it in all sporting events. John 3, 16. John 3, 16. But the problem is, is it doesn't go past John 3, 16. Let me read past John 3.16 for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's all you see on the freeway or wherever else you see. And the funniest thing that I see is when it's graffitied on a wall. I just don't understand that one. Like why, why did you do that to someone's property? But anyway, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, which means if you don't, you are. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now of course... In sharing this gospel, we have to practice good bedside manners and not be jerks about it. But we need to be truthful, just like your good doctor is truthful and is not sugarcoating what is really happening to your health. And we have the truth of the gospel to stand firm in, and there are, there are many who don't have truth, and they will interpret what we are sharing with them as foolishness. John wrote this about recording what Jesus said. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Stand firm in Christ, in the gospel of Christ. And when confronted by the evil one, by the world, we are to stand firm, secure in the finished work of Christ. Fasten your belt. See, our faith is not in the wisdom of people, but in the power of God. To have faith in Christ means that we have transferred faith and trust in ourselves to Christ. That our loyalty, that our allegiance has moved from myself to Christ. That we've moved from this self-reliance to a reliance in Christ. Self-righteousness to the righteousness of Christ. And this brings us to the second part of chapter 14, or, or verse 14. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate is really important in terms of armor because it protects all the vital organs in the front of a person or in the back of a person. And we need this protection against the enemy. I don't have to tell you this, but people tend to be self-righteous, don't they? I get calls, emails, texts all the time about how I should be doing things or what I should be doing and, and them giving me their righteousness upon myself. I get it. I do that to my children too. 
But we bring all of those self-righteous things based on our own upbringing, our own morals, or our own history, our behavior, our education, our career, our ideology, whatever it is that we've become self-righteous people with. But as believers in Christ, we're given this imperative in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's not to condemn other people or make people self-righteous or make people righteous in our way. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22, it reads this, Put off your old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Not put off somebody else's stuff and put on stuff for them. Do it to yourself. Put off your old self. Put on your new self. That we've been imparted righteousness from Christ. That we are then to live righteously. And ultimately, true righteousness only comes from God and through faith in Jesus Christ. But put it on yourself. Kind of like the speck in your eye. Right? Do that for yourself first before you start going out and starting to take out stuff from people's eyes. Put it on yourself. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. People have all sorts of reasons to believe that they are righteous and that you should be righteous just like them. And they're confronted with how unrighteous they really are because all you have to do is show them the law. The way people are confronted with unrighteousness is to be shown how they're out of sync with the law. And so in a court of law, if you violate it, there are consequences to it. And so if you commit a crime, there is a consequence to it. And this is what we're shown in the Ten Commandments when we look back to Exodus chapter 20. That we do have other gods that we worship, whether that is materialism or family or whatever ideologies that are out there. That we do covet. That we do lie. That we are indeed guilty. That we are unrighteous. And so there are consequences to that unrighteousness. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That the wages of unrighteousness is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. By nature, we are all spiritually dead. We'll all die physically. And when you die physically... You'll also die spiritually without Jesus Christ. And you will be absent from God for all eternity. And that is hell. Being absent from God. 
But you and I can be declared righteous from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so faith in Christ means believing in the things of Christ, that whatever he said is true is indeed true for you as well. But simply believing them to be true is not the same thing as a saving faith in Christ. Just believing what Jesus did and who he is does not change who you are. It doesn't save you. Now how can you say that? I thought all you have to do is believe in Jesus and then you're saved. Not true. Because Satan believes Jesus to be true. Satan knows Jesus to be true. Satan knows that what he says is truth. But there's no loyalty to him. There's no allegiance to Jesus. He does not believe that the righteousness of Christ is for him and on him, and he is then seen as righteous by a holy God. Therefore, it is possible that even if you believe Jesus to be true, and you believe him that his works are true, but your allegiance and loyalty aren't with him, then you're just like the devil. Righteousness is only from God. It is not from ourselves. Not even for a powerful being like Satan, who is way more powerful than any of us, can he declare himself righteous. It is only God. And so this breastplate of righteousness that is to be put on is not your own self-righteousness in terms of saying, well, I do this, and I'm good, and I, I, I represent this, and I do all these good things. The righteousness is in Christ. That's the breastplate that you are to put on. It means that we trust in the gospel, not in ourselves, that we don't have anything to boast about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's how it has to be, because you didn't do anything. You and I, we didn't earn anything. Christ did everything. And it's Christ who makes us righteous, but there is a necessary evidence that the righteousness that he has imparted in us is now how we live. That there's indeed a transformation in us that once we are saved, it doesn't mean that we can just go on with whatever we were doing before and continuing on to sin. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so our focus is to be on Christ, on the gospel, always turning toward Christ. And it's on the righteousness of Christ, that is where we find our rest. The righteousness of Christ, that is what we put on. Let me close with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the dis discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are true. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who have not acknowledged what you've done for them, that they may still be in darkness. And I pray, Lord, that you would call them to yourself this morning, that they would open their heart, their mind to not just receive your truth, but that they would be transformed by it, that your Holy Spirit would take hold of them. I pray for those who do have a relationship with you, Lord, that they would be ready that their belts would be fastened, that they would have this breastplate of righteousness on them, what you've done for them. That we would be able to stand firm against all the things that are attacking us. And I pray especially for those who are having struggles within their marriages, struggles within their families, struggles within their work environments. Pray, Lord, that you would penetrate that darkness that there would be a spirit of humility in there that there would be a spirit of grace and forgiveness of understanding of patience god thank you so much for your word in jesus name amen uh, at this moment if you have your communion elements uh, you can take that out We'll take out the wafer from the top of the communion elements. And the sacrament that Jesus has given us since the Last Supper and says that he will not return to partake in this until his return. His body broken for us so that we are declared righteous before holy God. Let's take this together. the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. Praise be to God. Take this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these symbols. So powerful, yet reminding us every week 
of what you did for us and the righteousness that you impart on us. I pray, Lord, that we are able to stand firm in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.